Acts 16, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. Uh, May is oftentimes graduation month for our college students or even some of our members here who graduated with a maybe a higher degree, like a master's or maybe even a doctorate degree. And it's been kind of fun kind of browsing through Facebook over the last couple of weeks, just seeing people graduating, seeing the beautiful pictures with family and so forth. And it's been really cool to see that. Got to give a shout out to our very own Pastor IJ, who's there in the back. Pastor IJ graduated with his master's of divinity from Gordon... Uh, Conwell Theological Seminary. And so uh, the, the unique thing about that dude back there is that, you know, he's our youth pastor, but mo- usually it takes people about three to four years to get their Master's of Divinity degree. IJ did it in two years, right? Two years. And so uh, clearly he's an overachiever. And uh, we're, just, we're just so happy that he was able to get his degree. Now he's going through the process of getting licensed through our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. But People like IJ and all of those who are going to college, and if you've graduated recently, congratulations. Uh, We do this because we want to prepare ourselves to the best of our ability towards a vocation that we really feel led to pursue. And because of that, we are willing to invest a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of resources. Some of our students uh, incur quite a bit of debt as a result of it. But they do that as an investment, knowing that as they pursue a particular vocation, that going to school is really going to prepare them for this. All of us in this room, we know how important our jobs are. Because we spend a third of our day, at least a third of our day, doing it. Eight hours we do. Some of us do more. Some of you do nine, 10, 11, 12, God forbid. And you focus so much on your vocation. And because of that, you know that it's a big part of your life. And you do. And some of you work so hard for your family, and I commend you for that. I really do. Do you also know that there is a vocation in which God is calling you to? It's a vocation that he's called every single one of us. It's a divine vocation that he's called you and I to participate in today. And that vocation is to build his kingdom. That is the vocation that God is asking all of you in this room to dedicate some of your time, some of your energy towards. And I know when you meet people like David, you feel like they're kind of like God always picks people like him. They're like kind of like God's special ops force. They're like these spiritual Navy SEALs. They're like these spiritual giants and they go around and they impact people from all over the world. I think Covenant World Relief reaches about 25 to 26 different countries around the world. And you think, I don't have much to offer, Peter. I really don't. You have a lot more to offer than you think. In fact, one of the unfortunate things about Satan is that he, he, Jesus calls him the chief of liars. And he wants you to believe that you don't have much to give. But all of you in this room, you have so much to offer. Your calling in life is not just to work and that's it. But your calling in life is to build God's kingdom. Some of us, we think Christianity is about perhaps maybe just believing in Jesus so that when we die, we get to go to heaven. It's so much more than that, Metro. So much more than that. And I will say to all of you here today, Christianity is more than you asking God to come and bless your kingdom. And that perhaps as he blesses your kingdom, you'll bless a little bit of his. That's not your calling in life. Your calling, your divine calling that God has given to you is that you would dedicate your life to blessing his kingdom and not yours. And so how do we do it? How do we do it? Paul's going to teach us today how we can kind of participate in blessing and advancing God's kingdom. What are some tangible ways in how we can do that? And it's found in Acts chapter 
16 verses 11 through 24. Acts 16, 11 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me and we're gonna go through this. Remember last Sunday we talked about uh, Paul was sort of stopped by the Holy Spirit of going to certain places and then he had a dream about a man saying, come to Macedonia, I need help. And so he woke up and he said, guess what? We're going to Macedonia. Well, now the story kind of picks up where he's heading towards there. Verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Sumatras. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place for, of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyatara named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, thank you for this text. And Lord, I pray that today you would open up everyone's ears, their hearts, their eyes, to receive and to accept and to desire to want to live out the divine calling that you've called us to live to build your kingdom. May we be kingdom builders, God. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, I pray, God, that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. In your name we pray, amen. The greatest message that Jesus gave whenever he entered into different places of ministry was simply this profound message where he said, the kingdom of God is here. Now that I am here, the kingdom of God is here. It was the greatest message he ever gave. It was the message that he repeated over and over again. And so because Jesus Christ came into this earth, he died and he rose again on the third day, he now has charged us now with the privilege and the honor of proclaiming this powerful truth and and living it out and, and furthering God's kingdom here on earth. And so that's what the early church was doing. The early church from Acts 1 all the way up until 16 will continue to see week after week, they're, they're fulfilling the very divine vocation that God has called them to, to proliferate, to advance God's kingdom here on earth. Our job is to help people to taste a little bit of what heaven is going to be like. That is building God's kingdom here on earth. So how do we do that? The first thing we learn in this story is that we build God's kingdom when we share God's love with non-Christians. 
You build God's kingdom when you share love with non-Christians. It's very important that you and I have friendships with people who are not Christians. Sometimes as Christians, it can be quite challenging, can it, for us to have friendships with people who are not Christians. And I hope that in today's day and age, that for you, that you are intentionally trying to build relationships with people who don't know God. It will help you to understand better how to love on and care for those who may not know. And we find that Paul was doing that. Look at verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyatara named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's so interesting that Paul is ministering and sharing the gospel message to a group of women because that was very unusual back even in the first century. Women were not allowed to learn the things of God in the Jewish faith in the Jewish culture, right? Women were not allowed to receive that. But Paul is readily opening himself up and teaching women. In fact, if you read Rodney Stark's book, he wrote a great book called The Rise of Christianity. And he talks about how did Christianity really blow up from these 12 men called the apostles? What were some of the real mitigating factors that contributed to it? And in his book, he says one of the key factors is that the early church was the only institution in the Roman world that opened its doors not only only to women, where women can be accepted there, but it was really the only institution that actually allowed women to hold leadership positions in the church. And as a result of that, it just started to grow and it started to explode. Part of it was women allowed the early church to really explode. And we find here that Paul now is here and, and he's in Philippi and he's ministering to these group of women, particularly when Lydia comes to know Jesus Christ and he shares, he shares God's love with her. Lydia was wealthy. Lydia sold purple dye, right? Purple, if you had any a clothing on in purple back in the first century, it was kind of like if you maybe had a, um, a bag of Louis Vuitton, you know, like a suitcase with Louis Vuitton or a belt with Louis Vuitton or Gucci or one of those nice... When you wear those things, you know you spent some money, so you must have some money because you had to spend it to buy those things, all right? If you wore purple cloth in the first century, it was like Louis Vuitton. But this woman was selling that stuff. She had money. Unusually, she, it was very unusual because she was the head of her household as well. Paul shares the love of God with her. She was Jewish. But because she heard the gospel message, she came to know Jesus Christ. And so here's how we share God's love with people. We share it with our words. And, he, and Paul, yes, he probably shares some theology but the thing that you have to always catch, because you see it so many times in Paul's letters, he shared his story with her. And here's the thing, because I know a lot of you, you get nervous about sharing God's love because you're afraid that maybe you don't know enough Bible, and you're certainly afraid maybe that somebody might ask you a question that you may not be able to answer. Totally get that. I understand why that would cause you maybe to have some fear to maybe prevent you from sharing God's love with other people. But if you share your story, if you share your story of how God's love has impacted and transformed your life, it's your story. They can't refuse it. They, can't re they might say, well, I still don't believe in God. That's okay, but it's your story. They can't do anything about it. And so I want to encourage you, maybe as you leave here today and, and certainly as you wake up tomorrow morning, can you sort of have this mindset of saying, God, can you help me to share your love with someone today? Can you help me? And share your story. 
Share your story about how God has impacted and transformed your life in that way. Share your story about that, and I'm sure people will be impacted because as people hear it, some, some, some of these non-Christians have been so hurt by Christians in the past because they've tried to share the gospel message with them. But it, oftentimes it was a message of condemnation. They tell them, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Usually it's usually a conversation killer when you start off your conversation like that. And some, some of these non-Christians sort of already have sort of a visceral response sometimes when they hear Christians say, can I share with you about Jesus? And the best way I think to do it in the 21st century is, could I share with you how God has impacted and transformed my life? If you have a relationship with them, guess what? They will listen because they care about you. And what you have to say is a lot more important because they do have that relationship with you and it has a lot more weight in their lives. Sharing God's love by sharing how he's impacted your life. And don't just make it all peaches and cream, all good, fun, lovey-dovey type stuff. Share even the hard stuff. Share some of the hard doldrums of life that you've had to endure, but how God has been able to faithfully get you through some of those stages. And maybe some of you are struggling right now. Maybe some of you don't have that you know, happy sort of ending, and that's okay. Share your story that faith is real. It's not always about, ah, it's going to be easy. But sometimes even people who don't know Jesus need to hear that there is those moments when you struggle because relationships are not easy. And I would also say our relationship with God can be challenging at times. Amen? It can be, can it? Absolutely. Your story is so important for people to hear. And if you want to be build God's kingdom, one of the best ways now you can do that is share it. Share it with non-Christians. Another way in sharing God's love uh, with non-Christians is by meeting a felt need. Meeting a felt need. There are people who are your neighbors. There are people at your jobs. There are people at your school, perhaps. There are people in your family that have a felt need. Why not try to meet it? And do it with no strings attached. Don't be like, yeah, you know, I'll do this if you come to church with me. You know, don't do that kind of stuff, all right? I'll do this if you read a chapter in the Bible. No, that's, that's not a good strategy. Just say, I do this because I love you. And that's it. There are deep felt needs in your community and the people that you know who may not know Jesus. Maybe God has allowed you to connect with this person so that perhaps maybe you can meet that felt need that I don't know why, but God uses people like you and me so that people can experience his love. And maybe there's a felt need that you can meet. So as you wake up in the morning, say, God, is there, can you help me to share your love with someone, either through my words, or may I speak it through my actions? Amen? That's not so hard, sharing your story or meeting a felt need. You advance God's kingdom when you do that. About eight months ago, my neighbor came and, and knocked on my door. I, I live in Leonia. I've been living there for about 12 years. And it's amazing because a lot of my neighbors, they've been living there for 25 to like 35 years. They've been there forever. This was my neighbor, and it was a, a son of my neighbor, and he was living there. And he came, and he just came to my house, and he said, oh, I need to ask you for a favor. I know you're a pastor, um, I was wondering if you could officiate my wedding. My fiance and I need somebody to officiate the wedding. And, you know, because we're neighbors, I thought maybe you'd be open to doing it. And so I just, my first response is no. I don't because I take wedding, performing, officiating weddings very seriously. There's a process. Even in the church, there's a process that I kind of make you go through. You've got to go through premarital, which we started last Sunday, and it was excellent, I hear. 
right? I'm looking forward to teaching mine in a couple weeks uh, to, with the premarital group. But they have to go through the premarital. They got to go through some counseling, some premarital counseling and so forth. There's, there's sort of a specific way. And if they're not willing to do it, I, I, don't, I don't officiate weddings. And so my initial response was, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, uh, so do you go to church? He said, well, you know, I go to a Catholic church, you know, once in a while. I said, oh, I said, well, why don't you ask your Catholic priest to do it? He said, well, he won't do it if it's not in the Catholic church. He, want, he won't go to the hall. We rented a beautiful hall, and it's nice, and, and we wanted to have a ceremony there. I said, oh, okay. And, uh, and you know, my, my a professor that impacted my life the most in seminary is a man by the name of Dr. Ray Anderson. And I took one of his classes, and it was practical theology and practical ministry. And he said to, me, he said to the class, he said, Every act of ministry will teach someone something about God. Don't ever forget that. If you are a minister, anyone who says you believe in God, any act of ministry will teach that person that needs your ministry something about God. And so I said to myself, how would he interpret God if I said no? How would he interpret God if I said yes to this? And I chose to do the wedding. I said, I need to meet with your fiance, and I sat down with them, and we had a real long talk. I invited him to our church sometime, because they kept asking about it. I was like, you should come and check it out sometime, if you really want to check it out. But I share with them that this wedding is going to be a wedding ceremony that's going to be centered on Jesus Christ. They have to be okay with it, otherwise I can't do it. And they said, of course they're okay with that. I had an opportunity to share with them how important it is for them to, to really start uh, connecting deeper with their faith in God so that they can have a healthy marriage. And the wedding was great. We had a, a great wedding ceremony. We were able to, I was able to share uh, a short little sermon. Our friends got to hear it and family got to hear it, um, connect with them. He came over to my house a couple weeks ago. We just started talking a bit more, just thanking me for that opportunity. But I believe, Metro, that God has positioned you in certain places in life where there's felt needs in your community. And that if you would just be open to it and just say, you know what, perhaps maybe I'll do it. And meeting that felt need with no strings attached, you're sharing God's love with people. And this world is starving to receiving God's love. They may not know it, but they desperately need it. And so would you allow yourself to be a kingdom builder today? How you participate in that is sharing God's love with people who don't know him. It's the first thing. Second thing is that we build God's kingdom when we share our home for ministry. When we share our home the home in which you live in for ministry. Look at verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul didn't want to do it because she was single probably. And so I guess he felt a little uncomfortable because he was single, you know, and stuff. So he felt a little uncomfortable about it. So she had to persuade us. If you think, if you believe that I'm a believer, you better stay at my house. And uh, she was very convincing. And Paul said yes. And he did. What I want you to know is that in the New Testament, people like Paul and the other leaders, the apostles, the disciples, and other church leaders, they depended on people's homes for survival and also to do ministry. They didn't have hotels like we do back in those days, and they certainly couldn't afford it. And what they relied upon was the hospitality of other people. And you see the passion of Lydia, because she knows how important offering her home for ministry is in her own spiritual formation. She just became a Christian. And she said, you got to stay at my house. I want you to stay at my house. Jesus also, when you read the Gospels, you find that as he went from town to town and village and village, you find that he stayed in people's homes all the time. He didn't stay like at no Holiday Inn. He stayed in people's homes. And there was this natural understanding that our home wasn't just the place where we 
live and it's just for our immediate family, but our home was also used for ministry. And if you want to be a kingdom builder, or I believe all of you here live in a home, don't you? One of the best ways in how we can be a kingdom builder is use our home for ministry as well. In the Western world, this is really difficult because we're so individualized and we see our home really as a private place just for me and my family. And our home many times is the place where all the secrets live. And so because there's so many secrets at our home, we don't want to invite anyone to come and visit it. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Your home is a place for ministry. You know, sometimes I get people and they ask, hey, could you come over, just bought a house, and we'd love for you to come and just pray a blessing upon the home, and, and I'm happy to do it. But if you want God to bless your home and the people that live there, use it for ministry, Metro. Use it for ministry. Some of you have really beautiful homes. You have apartments and stuff. Use it for ministry. Yesterday, we had a, somebody in our church, uh, our singles ministry got together for a barbecue. I don't know how many of you went, but I heard about 60 single people got together. They had good food. You had great fellowship. And it wasn't even her home. It was her mom's and dad's home. She's like, mom and dad, guess what? We're going to have 60 people in our house. We're going to have a great barbecue. And think about the blessing that happened in this home. Not only is this family going to be blessed for offering their home, but think about somebody experiencing God's love there. Maybe somebody went there and they, were, they had a real bad week. Maybe somebody went there and they're struggling with loneliness. And they went, they experienced a community of people that not only fed them physically, but hopefully was allowed, allowed them to nurture and feed their souls. Use your home for ministry. Open up your home for it. Allow it to be a place where God's ministry could be had. You know, I talked to Pastor Mike Yee, and he was telling me that every year they, you know, we have small groups. Uh, we do semester-based, two semesters a year. And, uh, and he says that uh, uh, we have leaders, but one of our greatest challenges is that we don't have enough homes. And the office only has a few spaces where we can have small groups. And he says it would be really great if more people could open up their homes for small group. And maybe you can do that. Maybe you can open up your apartment. Maybe you can open up your home for a small group. Maybe you can open up your home for, we, you know, we do a lot of the, the Metro University, the classes, the spiritual formation classes. Uh, maybe you can open up your home for that. You can sign up for the classes and have it at your home. You don't have to drive to the class. It's going to be at your home. How awesome would that be? And can I just encourage those who go to people's homes, please offer to help to clean up. Try not to make it so burdensome, honestly, for the hosts. Right? Don't just go there and say, see you later, we had a great time, but just say, hey, is there anything I can do to help you out? Help the host. Thank them for opening up their home. Don't leave them with the whole burden of cleaning the whole house up, right? After we've messed it up, help out, right? Let's be that New Testament church. Offer your home. You know, we told our staff uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, because we made some extreme budget cuts to our budget this year just to try to meet the budget, uh, for, we're sort of targeting, realizing that if we don't do that, we're not going to meet budget for this year. So we did some extreme cuts. And one of the extreme cuts was simply that you cannot use Greco past 130 anymore. Because the school charges us for every single room per hour. I don't know if you know that. And, uh, and as a result of it, uh, it's a lot of money. And, uh, and uh, if, if we continue to use it, because there's so much ministry going on in this church after 1.30, uh, this, uh, people use rooms from rooms. And, and before you know, we realized that we were paying thousands of dollars over the normal amount that we normally give, uh, that we normally pay the school because of all the rooms we were renting after 1.30. So we said, no more. You can't do it anymore. So you have the office, which is already maxed out, so it'll be hard. And then the other thing we just said is be creative and see if somebody can open up their homes. 
And I think that's a great opportunity to do ministry, perhaps, and letting your home be a place where ministry could be done in a beautiful way. Offer up your home for ministry. When you do that, you're building God's kingdom. I, I don't know a better way where you can ask God to bless your house. Offer it as a place where people can be blessed by. And don't be ashamed of it. Some of us, you know, my mom growing up, we didn't live in a nice house. We lived in apartments and we didn't have, we had really old and broken furniture. She was so ashamed to invite people to the house for ministry because she was ashamed of how we were living. Don't let that set in. Open up your home for ministry. It is a place where God's presence dwells, all right? Opening up your home for ministry. The last thing that we learn in how we can build God's kingdom is when we confront demonic forces. Stay with me on that. Don't get scared now, all right? Don't get scared. When I say demons or demonic forces, some of us, we get really scared about that stuff. Look at what it says in verse 16. All right. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now check this out. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Just know that Paul was already recovering from all the beatings he sustained before. So he was injured. And now he was beaten again, literally to a pulp to death. And now he's in prison and they fasten him with these stocks. They're these big things that they fasten on their ankles. And because of that, he can't even lay down because he'll be in so much pain if he does that to sleep. He literally has to stand or do the kimchi squat. That's the only way he can live in prison without being in severe pain from the stock that is holding him back. Paul, all of this happens because Paul confronts somebody who was demon-possessed. And uh, what I need you to know here, and let's just be really good, because some of you might even struggle with this, but fortune tellers are people who are demon-possessed. You need to hear that. Very clearly it says that. They have tapped into a supernatural power, which is Satan, and they're tapping into that supernatural power, and they're sharing with you some information to, sh to sort of get you into that supernatural realm and to make you to believe certain things, and they're making money off of it as well. If you go to fortune tellers and you go to people who like to use tarot cards and some of those other things, you're really tapping into the demonic. And it's not just about you receiving information to them that's harmful, all right, what you're also doing is you're receiving not just the information, but the spirits, and you're bringing it home with you. And you gotta be careful, because I've had conversations with people that I've had to instruct them, sort of connect with them and help them to deal with that because their kids were breaking out in these terrible nightmares and things like that. They didn't know what was going on in their house, and it all linked back because they were spending time at these fortune tellers and things like that. 
All right? There's nothing real scary about fortune tellers, although they are people who are possessed. They have, they have, they have tapped and given authority over their lives to the power of Satan so that they can potentially participate in sort of this, this work that is supernatural in and of itself. You have to be careful. We have to be willing as Christians to confront that in a powerful way. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul saying, you all better be ready. We have to be ready. We got to put on our full armor of God so that we can confront demonic forces, right? And so why did Paul wait so long? Because it said many days had passed. This woman was saying, hey, this is Paul, and guess what? He knows the way to our salvation. Why did Paul wait so long? We don't know why Paul waited so long. Maybe he knew that if he did this, he'd get beat up pretty bad. And he's still recovering from a deep physical injury. Right? We don't know why, but finally he couldn't handle it anymore, and he just cast out the demon. And why does he do this? Because Paul couldn't stand the fact that truth was coming out of a demon's mouth. Because if you continue to hear truth come out of somebody who's demon-possessed, then you're going to start to believe that the source of that truth is also truth as well. And that's Satan himself. And that's why Paul just said, listen, even if I have to die, i got to get this spirit out because the spirit is speaking too much truth. And I don't want people to believe in the validity of what she's doing. And so he said, come out. And And the demon came out, right? And so when we confront demonic uh, um, forces, it's really key that you don't do it alone. You need to do it in community because Paul had Silas. When Jesus sent out the 12, he always sent people, he sent the disciples out in pairs. Why? Because when two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. It's always important to have two people with you. Don't do this alone because you're not you're not capable of doing it alone. But it's important, Paul says, get ready, put on the full armor and be ready to fight because the devil's schemes are so subversive. They're they're filled with lies to make you to believe that he is really the truth. And what you find here, and this is the one that I want to really talk about, this demonic force that I think has ravaged our society in which you and I live in today. The, 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 the demonic force that has ravaged us today in our society is really what, what, these, what these owners of, of uh, this woman experienced. And you know what that is? It's greed. Greed. One of the most powerful arse weapons that the enemy holds today in our lives, in all of our lives, especially here in America, is greed. Look what, it, look what happens again in verse 19. Look what happens in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Where did they find their hope in? In money. They find their hope in money. Greed is one of the things that will destroy our lives in every capacity. It is the greatest demonic force of our generation, of our time today, especially in the kind of wealth we live in today. Greed will always destroy everything. Greed only has one purpose. This is why the devil loves it when we sort of drink the Kool-Aid of greed. Its purpose is to destroy your relationships with the people that you love. Its purpose is to have you be so lonely and have you to believe that money can really produce hope in your life. I know we need money. I know money is important. But guys, if you think money is hope, I feel sorry for you. 
if you think money is the way for hope and joy, then I really do feel sorry for you. Now, we need money. We need to make money. But if you believe money is everything, then it's going to really destroy your life. And the greatest demonic force of our day today here in America, especially even in this part of the country, is greed. And what the enemy has done, he's, he's so, he, I mean, he's so smart about it. He's taken the American dream and he's made it to be this beautiful thing. But really what it is many times is a dream of greed. It's a dream of just yourself. Why'd you come to this country? A lot of us, why? To fulfill the American dream. Not a bad thing. Again, again, it's not that bad. But for a lot of us, what it's done is that it's sort of said, you know what, uh, it's about building my kingdom and maybe if God blesses that, then I'll bless his. Right? The greed will make you to believe something like that and that's what Christian faith is all about, that God will come and bless your kingdom. And God has called you and has placed you on this earth to advance and to build his kingdom, not to build yours. And one of the things in how we have to be guard, stand on guard is that we have to protect ourselves from greed. Because look at these men. These men should have said, you know what, we've made enough money from this woman. Look how tormented she's been over the years. She's healed. We should just be happy. Let her go. We've made enough money from her. They couldn't even be happy for her. What happened? They got so angry that they couldn't believe now that they cannot continue to exploit this woman who was demon-possessed, and they had Paul and Silas literally beaten to death as a result of it. It is such a scary reality of what happens here, right? And so we, we have to do battle with it. So how do we confront the demonic force of greed? One thing and one thing only, generosity. That's it. If you want to confront the demonic force of greed, you have to learn to be generous. Generosity is the only antidote to curing yourself and protecting yourself from the demonic force of greed today. You have to fight your desire to, 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 to be greedy by being generous today. And I guarantee you that if we don't have a strategic plan for our generosity and how we're going to be generous, we're not going to last. It's going to overtake us. It really will, Metro. And so could I encourage you that one of the ways in how you build God's kingdom, you got to be able to confront this demonic force that's been infiltrating all of our lives. And it's this, it's, this, it's this demonic force of greed to make you to believe that you don't have enough. To say you, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, or, or you to take your money, just keep it for yourself. You are to think about how do I create a plan for generosity? so that I can start to share what God has given to me? How do I begin to do that? And the biblical principle, and the first step is really through the spiritual principle of tithing. Tithing is 10% of what you make, you tithe to the church. Now why does God want you to do that? Because it's to remind you of two things. Number one, that everything you have is his. None of it is yours. You don't own anything. It's all God's. And one of the ways in how you remind yourself of that is to do the spiritual practice of tithing and that protects, protects you from the spirit of greed. The other reason why he wants you to do that is because he wants you to invest in the kingdom of God. Amen. That as you do that, you bless the kingdom of God. So, you know, this, it's just weird how all this synced up with David coming here. I really know what he was going to talk about. It all synced up. Probably none of you really fully knew, like, we tied to our denomination and what you give, you probably thought it was just all going to Metro. But we give a good portion of our, our, of our tithe, we give our tithe to the denomination and it's supporting organizations like Covenant World Relief impacting 26, 27 countries around the world. That's building God's kingdom. Amen. And so can I th ha have you really think about how do you build sort of a plan to fight greed? Because if we don't, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna be able to confront this demonic force. You're gonna need some help. And if you're in incredible debt today, like credit card debt, you might need some people to help you get out of it. 
really, you might need some people to help you because that is, a, that is an area where you're not going to be able to free yourself of the greed if you're continuing to grow in your credit card debt. So you might need maybe Pastor Kevin or some other pastor or some people. Some of you are actually really good at this. You're gifted at financial planning. Maybe you could say, Peter, I'm willing to help anyone in the church if they need help getting help with their debt. Because when you live in that kind of debt, and a lot of us do according to the studies, Greed will never be something that we can free ourselves from fully. Can I just also say one last thing? If you're making money today and it's dirty, it lacks integrity, it don't matter how much you give to God. It will not be accepted. Have integrity in how you make your money. Don't cheat people. Don't lie about it. Do it with as much integrity as possible so that God could bless you and your home and your household. No, I don't think that's for all of us, but maybe it's for some of us in this room to hear today. So my daughter, Christina, is graduating from high school in about a month, and she decided to go, and she chose Rutgers University to be the school in which she is going to study in. And I'm sure a lot of you went to Rutgers University. We couldn't be prouder of her choosing that school because it's closer to home. We thought maybe she might go to Chicago and things like that, but she chose Rutgers, and so we couldn't be any happier. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we realized that, you know, Rutgers is a state school, so it's cheaper than going to a private school, much cheaper, but it's still expensive, $30,000 a year. It's a lot of money. So my wife and I got together. We started kind of looking at the numbers. And, you know, since she was a little baby, we put away on our five, we had a 529 plan, which is a college tuition fund plan. And we realized that we have enough money in that plan to pay for one semester. <laughs> All right? One. One out of the eight semesters that we're going to have to pay for the four years. But that's, so we're good. Hey, we're good for six months. We're good for about six months, Okay. No, 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 that means, actually, guys, that actually means a lot to us, that we're good for six months. This is why, this is why. We're not financial planners, we're not very great with money as well, but what we are great with is we're great at looking at the faithfulness of God for the past 20 years of our marriage and our life. You know, when I was, when we were in seminary, um, I didn't work full time, I didn't work at all, I was like, I gotta study, I gotta try to do this in three years. It took IJ2, it took me three, right? And so I was like, I gotta try to do this in three years. And so I said, you have to work. So she worked for the school at the, uh, at the payroll department, all right? Live, we were living in Los Angeles. We were not living like in Kansas, all right? Living in LA, and she was making, I forget the exact amount, somewhere in the mid-20,000 a year. Benefits were fantastic. The pay was horrible. There was a time we just got, we were married for about a year, and we said, well, what do we do? Do we cut back on our giving? And, and we both felt very convicted. No, we got to keep our tithe. We got to keep our commitment to some of these missionaries that we said that we're going to support, and we'll just trust in the Lord. I'm not a financial analyst or a planner. We didn't like go dollar by dollar. Those three years, I don't know how we did it, but you know how God multiplied, you know, fed the 5,000 with a few fish and the bread? That's what happened. We had no debt incurred. God was able to multiply the dollars in some way, and we figured it out, and we were able to pay for, you know, everything that we had to pay for in seminary and all that stuff, and we didn't have any debt, all right? We didn't have any debt, so we're thankful. And we said, you know what? That, that sort of helps us to realize that we, that we have to be careful in how we budget the future, right? And guys, you don't know the joy, and I, I don't want to say it's joyful, but there, there's this beautiful blessing and some of you will never know this because you're too wealthy. You'll never know this. You'll never know the deep 
blessing and peace and hope and joy that comes when God gives you enough for the day so that you can depend upon him for tomorrow. Some of you will never know that joy, and I feel bad for you if you have that much money that you'll never have to worry about that, but you'll never know the joy and the hope and the peace that comes when God gives you enough for the day so you can depend upon him for tomorrow. I'll never forget that. Seminary helped me to see that, right? And then about 13 years ago, I had dinner with Pastor Rick Warren with about another group of pastors, about 10, 15 pastors, and we had dinner with him. He wrote the book called Purpose Driven Life, sold like 30 million copies or 40 million copies, something like that. And uh, he said, guys, uh, pastors, you have to be the, the, the ones who give the most generously in your church. And he gave us the challenge. He said, every year you should increase your giving to the church by 1%. So you start with 10, but increase it by 1%. I was so impacted by that. I felt like that was God speaking to me. I went back to my wife and I said, honey, um, can we do this? And she said, yes. And so we started doing that every year, every year. Do the math. 13 years ago, do the math. And so we've been doing that. So we got to the point, and you know, last year uh, we did the capital campaign and, and we made a commitment and we made a very big commitment to, to support for the building because what's this building gonna be? And we're talking to the city, guys, asking them to give us the most historic building in this town for free. Amen. To build a community center that's never been built in the history of this city. We're going against a demonic force that has been here for the past four decades and saying no community centers because community centers are known to be bridges, bridges of bringing people together, yeah. right? And so God is using us. So, you know, we feel like we have to lead the way. And so we got that and we got all the bills and thinking about what's going to happen with Christina's college. And so my wife and I were talking about, should we cut back? Because God will definitely understand. God will definitely understand if we have to cut back a little bit, as long as we stick with the 10, right? So we thought, should we cut back? And we got to the point and we said, hell no. Hell no. We are not going to cut back. You know why? Because no amount of money could buy what we have brought, what we have lived and been able to experience over the past 20 years. Amen. My kids still really love me. <laughs> they really do. I mean, they don't think I'm cool and I'm a little bothered by that. I wish they thought I was cool, but, but they love me. My wife, 20 years of being with her, I still really love her. You know, this week, Wednesday, I was out. Um, I usually at least see her before she goes to work. I get back, you know, from the gym or something, I'll see her and I get to say goodbye to her. Or if I don't see her in the morning, I'll always see her when she comes back from work. So at least that's the, our normal rhythm. At least I see her before she goes to work or when she gets back, right? I didn't see her on Wednesday because I, I went biking and went, it took, took a bit longer than I thought. I didn't see her go. And then I had to leave because I had a dinner appointment and I didn't see her when, I, when she got back from work. It was just one of those little, you know, a little off rhythm kind of a thing. And I got home around 8.45 and I said to the kids, where's mom? He's like, oh, well, she's walking our dog, Kobe. I was like, oh, okay. And I put my slippers on and I went and I went to go find her. And when I saw her, she's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I miss you. I want to just see you. I haven't seen you all day. And she goes, well, you could just wait like 10 minutes and I'll be home. I said, woman, stop it, man. Embrace what I'm trying to give you. I really want to see you, and I couldn't wait 10, 15 minutes till you came home with Kobe. What's the big deal? She's like, why'd you come out? <laughs> After 20 years, I'm still quite smitten by her. There's something in my heart that beats and that wants to see her when I don't see her for her entire day. For a middle-aged man, 
I have some of the best friends any guy could ask for. These guys are amazing. They would go to war with me. If I ever needed them, they'd get on a flight and they'd come without even a question asked. No amount of money can buy that metro. And I said, how could I ever think, at least at this point in my life, of holding back, and that one of the contributing factors of why I feel my life has been so blessed is because my wife has strategically created a plan to give generously. And you all know that most marriages end in a divorce because of money. You know that a lot of your family are in tensions with family members because of money. Money destroys our love for money. Finding hope in money destroys. And one of the greatest things that I've gotten to experience and blessing I've gotten to experience is that because we've been generous, God has blessed us in our relationships with the people that we truly love and care about. Will you confront the demonic force of greed by being generous? Will you build God's kingdom by doing that? Will you build God's kingdom by sharing his love with other people? Will you build his kingdom by offering your home, sharing it as a place for ministry? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So I'm gonna give you a moment just to go to God. And I just want you to commit to being a kingdom builder because if we don't do that, you're not living out why God's created you. Christianity is not about God blessing your kingdom and then you blessing a little bit of God's in return. Christianity is about you knowing that God has created you to bless and to advance his kingdom. And so can you do that? Will you say yes to that? I'm gonna give you a few moments to do it and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, this world needs to hear this profound message, Lord, that you declared while you ministered on this earth for three and a half years that the kingdom of God is here. It will change everything about their lives if they knew that. And God, I don't know why you choose to choose people like us to proclaim that message and to build your kingdom here on this earth, but you do. Broken, messed up people like us to do this. I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters all to rise up and they would deepen their faith in you to realize that faith in you is not about you blessing their world and then they'll bless a little bit of yours. But that faith in you is about all of us dedicating ourselves to building your kingdom. And so I pray that there will be so much synergy between our secular, worldly, our earthly vocation and this divine vocation you've given to us. Let there be synergy starting Tuesday as they go back to work. So God, be with us as a church, as a community. Help us to share your love with other people through our words or through our actions, God. Help us to do that, Lord. God, I pray that you would open those doors for us to do that. I pray that you help us to even share our homes for ministry, that our homes would not just be a place where we live with our families, but it will be a place, God, where we can also do profound ministry. And, and God, I pray that you'll help us to confront the demonic force of greed in our own lives and in the lives of people that we maybe we know and love and care for. So God, be with our church. Thank you so much for this time. It's in your name that we pray.
Amen. Some next steps I'd love for you to take, if you could flip over your communication card. The first one, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off and let us know. We'd love for you to come up for prayer if you can, or if not, go to the, uh, the next table and we'll have a packet for you, and we'd love to just uh, congratulate you and also pray with you if that's okay. Second, I will intentionally share the love of God with a non-Christian this week. Pray about it, how you will do that. Just ask God, and I guarantee you there will be an opportunity where that can happen. Third, I will open up my home for ministry. If you're interested in doing that, maybe you don't know what ministry, but just check that off and we'll get back to you. We'll put you on, on a list maybe. And if we need a home, we can maybe contact you and you're more than welcome to say no. All right? Just because you check that off, don't mean it, it doesn't mean that you can't say no. You can totally say no. It's okay. All right? But if you're open to it, you know, perhaps check that off. Uh, fourth, I will embrace generosity by tithing to the church. Wherever you attend, if this is your church, that you will begin by starting that. Uh, fifth, please sign me up for the Connections Dinner uh, next Sunday uh, at 4 p.m. It'll be at my home. If you're interested, learning more about what Metro's about, love to invite you, and we'll have dinner afterwards as well. And lastly, I'm interested in attending Camp Metro with Pastor Kevin Butcher from June 23rd to 28th. Probably the best week of your year. I do want to encourage you to think about investing your week being with us. Kev Pastor Kevin Butcher is a real special uh, gift to our church and to our community. He's already blessed so many of us, but spend a week with us. It'll be a great opportunity. Now, if you're interested, check that off, uh, and we'll get back to you this week.